Milk Podcast. I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Pope. And uh, today we got a good subject. Is democracy dead as America hurdles toward maybe World War III, as some have called it? But um, just in general, with impeachment and everything Trump is doing, it seems Republicans are basically a rubber stamp for everything that he wants. And uh, is our democratic system effectively ruined with a dictatorial-esque president who can't be shamed into following the law or doing things that uh, are in the country's interest? Yeah, so uh, very uh, interesting topic. It's kind of uh, unfortunate to have to think about, but uh, you know what we've seen the last eleven years. You know, starting with uh, Obama's presidency, is that you, you've seen kind of a uh, you know if there's a majority leader of one house of Congress, like in this example, Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Uh, if you have one party leader in one house of the legislature, they can just stop the American government from working completely especially if they don't like the president, if the president's from either party. So you basically, to get anything done, you have to have both houses of Congress, both chambers and the presidency, or just democracy is stalled completely until one party can have basically full power again, right? Well, yeah, and then, you know, we have three branches of government, but the third branch doesn't matter. You know, the judicial branch and the Supreme Court doesn't have a say in anything if nothing gets passed by Congress. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or if there's no lawsuits brought to them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, you know, a lot of people have said that Mitch McConnell is most to blame for the degradation of uh, democracy in America. What do you think about that? I think, uh, well, so here's a funny uh, little tidbit from uh, Michael Lewis's book. He said he had a, uh, or maybe it's an the interview. Fifth risk, right? Yeah, he had, a, he had a conversation with Obama while he was following Obama around, you know, taking pictures and and, and getting uh, information for a pretty uh, big story he wrote about Obama. But uh, he said he had a conversation with Obama, uh, and Obama said that, you know, if American democracy fails and they write a book on it, you know, they'd be a pretty big chapter on Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> right. I think, you know, Barack Obama knows more than anyone, you know, what the, you know, a hostile, mm-hmm. you know, you what know, an House of Congress he was. Yeah, could do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, one thing that I thought has always been a huge problem for our democracy is the Hastert rule with Dennis Hastert. Um, he was the former, was he the Speaker of the House or something at Hastert. some point? Uh, we can get a quick fact check on that. But basically, the Hastert rule is this policy in which the party in um, power of a of uh, either the House or the Senate... Okay, yeah, so Hastert was the Speaker of the House. He was a Republican. But he made up this rule that unless... Any bill would get a majority of his party or Republican support, he would not bring it up for a vote. So that means that, like, bills that would be bipartisan and would pass with a bunch of Democrats voting wouldn't be brought up because it doesn't have a full House majority, or sorry, a Republican majority in the House. Um, what do you think about that? That's not really the way the founders ever intentioned our Congress to operate. Leaders, obviously, the minority leaders, just the party that doesn't have the majority. And, it, and it's not written into the Constitution, but it's kind of like precedent where they serve, um, they, they, they do it at the beginning of the term and then they basically serve the two years or until they resign. Well, that's an interesting thing. Another thing to talk about is that, like, every branch of the government does have tradition over the last 230 years of our country's history. So there are little things and norms that people right now are breaking. For example, like how do you have a democracy when you have a long-standing, you know, tradition that the president 
at that time gets to pick the Supreme Court. <laughs> so if right. there's a vacancy, a, nom- a, a, you know, a nomination fails or someone dies, that president right then and there gets to pick another one. So, I mean, it wasn't like Scalia died, you know, a month before the election. He died like almost a year before. They had plenty of time. You know, they, you know, Obama came up with Merrick Garland. He was a great choice, you know, Republican. America voted in 2012 for Obama to fill all the vacancies. And that's that's when you're going to break every norm for short-term political gain. That's kind of a sign that democracy is on its way out, you know what I mean? Yeah. When you look at the Roman Empire, like, by the time of the emperors, right, the the Senate had been a huge institution in the history of Rome, and by the time of Julius Caesar, you know, the Senate, they were just powerful oligarchical families whose, you know, great, 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 great grandsons are just filling the family billet in the Senate, and then, you know, they had no power, they were afraid to stand up to anybody right. with real power, any of the military They wouldn't actually yeah. sacrifice any of their wealth or... Prospect. Yeah, and obviously, like, that's not to say it's going to, you know, obviously there's probably not going to be a military junta in the, the military today that's going to take over the government, but it does show how democracy can be right. over time. I mean, we're 230 years in, and, you know, there are plenty of things, you know, people accuse FDR of doing undemocratic things way back when, but I think everything compared to what Trump and his people have been doing and Mitch McConnell have been doing pales yeah. in comparison to today. Holy yeah, God. and you know FDR wasn't successful in a lot of things, like his attempt to pack the courts, whereas Mitch McConnell was noticeably very successful in just blocking the Supreme Court, uh, you know, yeah. seating of Merrick Garland. Well, that's the thing too is like there's no, you know, presumably, you know, if the Roosevelt had put an executive order saying that they were going to change the way the government operated or put more Supreme Court justices on, right. that could be struck down. However, the Senate refusing to do their job and assign you know, the president's choice or vote on the president's choice for a new Supreme Court yeah. nominee, that's a complete breakdown of a norm that had stood for 230 years. Right. And then once it's happened, I mean, it's so easy to break an institution or a norm or a rule or a tradition that's not backed up by like, you know, straight up law. So, I mean, once one party starts doing it, there's, I mean, imagine right now, like Ginsburg died right now and the Senate was controlled by Democrats. Would anyone blame them for saying, nope, Trump doesn't get this choice. It's up to the winner of the 2020 elections. Yeah. You know, good luck, roll the dice, whatever. Is it, yeah, is that, is that a new precedent that we should set that a president has one year, otherwise anything or something like after a year? Sorry, gotta wait for the next pre- next election. But yeah, and then because that like normal, you know, that norm has been broken, you know, uh, who's to say the next time that two years out they say, oh, nope, we gotta wait for the next election. And then at the point right. they're elected and we're like, well, you have a six month grace period. Hope someone, you know, if you're going to get a pick, they, they resign yeah, now in the first right. six months of your presidency. Um, and uh, certainly the Republicans have gone way out of their way of super partisan picks. I mean, they're, they're ramming people into uh, federal uh, court seats that uh, the Bar Association does not approve of. They, you know, the Bar Association has listed several candidates that they've rammed through as um, unprofessional, arrogant, uh, unqualified people that don't actually get the bar association's recommendation for such a high um, court seat. Well, yeah, obviously, of course, Trump's picking the worst people, and and the same thing goes for all of his executive branch picks. Like the you know the the guy who he was trying to nominate to be in charge of NOAA, you know, the weather agency in the federal government is a guy who wants to cut their ability to 
give information to the American people about weather because, oh yeah, his family runs a for-profit weather company yeah. that could profit more right. if the weather you know service he was supposed to be overseeing, if he was yeah. actually approved by the Senate. Luckily, he hasn't right. been. He the, wants to block the government sharing with the public yeah. all of the information it collects, but he still uses that information the government collects to make his own weather predictions. Yeah, that's AccuWeather if you're curious. Yeah, <laughs> they make AccuWeather takes data yeah. and information from NOAA from the U.S. government and then sells it to people for yeah. profit. We both can't recommend enough that you read um, The Fifth Risk. What was his name again? Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis, yeah, the book The Fifth Risk. Read it because it details um, the transition, Trump's transition team. Um, basically, Obama had the most kind of unprecedented uh, transitional, um, like basically it's like a giant database, like a giant, giant books and packets of information on the, for everybody that Trump was bringing in. Uh, the Obama administration prepared these massive, massive books full of how to do the job, what you need to know, everything you need to know about taking over the um, the cabinet position or the agency that you're working at. And Trump just didn't send anybody. So Michael Lewis actually goes to a lot of these the Trump agencies. transition team didn't either. So Trump's not, you know, while he's in charge of the transition team, the transition team didn't do their job. Right. Because the funny thing is, legally a campaign running for president has to have the transition team going up until the election and then you know the idea i imagine when they made the law was hey if you win president you're probably gonna have your people keep doing their job to learn their job in the federal government but trump fired yeah. them all <laughs> yeah Trump yeah. let them all go. And then fired Chris Christie, who was in charge of the uh, yeah. transition team. And Chris Christie, you know, uh, was had to convince Trump over and over why they had to do it and that it was legally obligated. But Trump thought that spending any money for the transition was stealing his money. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, but yeah anyway, back to... But yeah, but know, back to the illegality, because that's just gross incompetence. But in terms of democracy dying, I think we've covered Mitch McConnell's role. We've covered a little bit of the uh, judicial branch. Well, here's um, another example why democracy might be in trouble is that you have a political party that you know clearly benefited from foreign help and in the right. election in 2016. Now, you know, say what you about the Mueller investigation, but you know, his whole the reason he was impeached is because he tried to do it again, right? He's trying, he's actively trying to get dirt right. on his opponents and. Obviously, we're not going to get into that, but it is a sign that, you know, democracy is kind of, you know, in danger when you have a leader of a political party, uh, you know, doing something illegal and, you know, frankly, just getting other political entities from other countries to interfere in our elections to help them. I mean, you don't really have a fair democracy if you have the political party in power, you know, cheating. I mean, right. That's not democracy. To right be reelected. Yeah. Despite, you know, but they know they're not going to win. I mean, they lost the popular vote the last election. They know, they know things aren't going well. Uh, but the latest news as of time of recording was that Mitch McConnell finally had the votes to, um, to go through with the impeachment, um, or sorry, for the Senate to vote for uh, the trial without um, having to have any of the witnesses, which is terrible timing because John Bolton just said publicly that he was willing now to testify now that the courts basically said that there wasn't really good legal standing for Trump to block him from uh, Well, yeah, that's the thing. Republicans are not going to want any more information to come out because obviously it makes their party look bad. Yeah, and so they know there's a, yeah. there's a fire there where there's so much That's smoke. another example of democracy being in danger is when you have a, a leader and his political party backing him no matter what. 
And I mean, yeah. that's just dangerous because, you know, in this case, Trump is kind of the worst right. leader in our nation's history, possibly. And, um, but it's so cynical because John Bolton literally said he was willing to testify now. Yeah. He kind of was flirting with the idea all along, but now that the courts ruled in favor of him testifying, for now, for Republican, you know, Marco Rubio just the other day was saying that I think we should only yeah. go with the uh, the information and the articles as they've been sent to us from the House. But it's so dumb because the world's a complicated place. America's a big country, and we have 535 elected officials. So, you know, in theory, you have at least 535 people who should know what's going on and should be interested in what happened what's going on and what you know needs to be done. Right. Um, so the fact that you have half of those 535 people putting their heads in the sand saying, I don't hear anything, I don't right. see anything wrong. You know, their yeah. job regardless, I mean, plus they're another branch of government. They are not the executive branch. If they're gonna do their job properly, it's to be a check and balance on the other branch. Now, last I saw the Supreme Court isn't trying to cheat elections and you know do illegal things so that leaves one branch for the congress to you know check which is their right. job under the constitution to check and balance the executive branch well there you have uh, one branch uh, basically not doing their job and it's it's unfortunate too because uh the house if you think about it at least theoretically that's that's like the people's kind of branch right of the legislature Every, you know the last election all 435 of them were re-voted in they are the most proportional to the voting populace right. as of... And we should remember that it was a giant swing yeah. toward Democrats specifically to be a check or a pendulum counterswing against everything Trump and Republicans are doing right now. Yeah, and the, you know, the Senate lost seats to the Democrats, and the only reason they didn't lose control is because you know only a third were up for elections. So you have this weird thing where you have people who aren't even going to win their next election, and they're probably really down in the polls... But they just don't have an election for four more years, so it's very un, you know, representative of the people right. as of right now, especially yeah. in the age of Trump. That you know he's he's clearly you know divided so many people. Yeah, and, and let's talk about. I mean, like the the Senate shares the same kind of natural gerrymander as the Electoral College, in that we just have these relatively. Um, arbitrary state borders that in no way match population, especially now where there's so many coastal cities that have just ballooned in size. There's that's just, a, yeah, that's a great kind of topic for why democracy is kind of fucked. And it's not yeah, even our it's, Senate's fucked. Yeah, democracy is not representative because, especially look at the Senate, you have almost 40 million people in California, but we have a lot of states that don't even have a million people. Right. You know, if you take the population of of California, I think I forget. It's probably like if you did the math, probably like eleven states worth of people. No, Los Angeles, I think, is eleven states. Yeah, probably California more. is like one one sixth yeah. of the entire population. I mean, yeah, it's fifty million people. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's strange. But they have they have the same amount of Senate votes as yeah. Idaho and Wyoming. Yeah. There's two senators to you know that can vote that can outvote California's two senators. Despite having, you know, what one three hundredth. Well, that's something to think about because as the country increases, population continues to grow, and you know, a lot of states have a much faster population growth. Right, California, New York, uh, those are states that. Have well, I think a lot. New York actually lost a little bit, but overall, American big yeah. big cities are growing really big, yeah. but the population is kind of moving southwest. 
Arizona's getting really big, Texas. Well, my point though is like, maybe it made more sense in 1912 to have two Dakotas, proportional, right? right. But why now, in when you have California with 40 million people, and you know, uh, I mean, we could just look this up really quick, population right. uh, of states. Do you, do you think, uh, is there any apparatus in our legal system that we could force the Dakotas to become one state? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, the states are going to do it. The states are going to lose a, rep, you know, they they're probably, not going to willingly go into it. Yeah. I mean, for example, like why should Montana, Wyoming, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota be one big state? Because you could say it's too big, but I mean, Alaska's a state. Alaska's not very populated, and the people are very far apart. So there's no reason why six or seven states... I mean, even some states like, fuck, uh, throw in Missouri and Kansas and Colorado, you still wouldn't equal California. You know what I mean? I mean, if you have most of the Northwest, just one big state, it wouldn't even equal California. And that's not even counting the GDP. Their GDP would be nowhere near California, I'm sure. Uh, so just for the listeners, if you're curious, uh, some of the bottom states, right? California has 39 million people, almost 40 million people. Um, some of the bottom states, Wyoming, 577,000, Vermont, 626,000, Alaska, 737,000. You know, the Dakotas combined are apparently 1.5, 1.6 million. So, I mean, there's no reason why... You know, they have such a huge uh, impact in the Senate or, or representation right. in the Senate. Yeah, why should all these small rural states have such a giant disproportionate effect on our policy? But that's why the Senate, you know, especially in the Republican Party, is just overwhelmingly white males. You know, the Republican Senate delegation is massively just white It's males. unproportional to the yeah. American people. They're all really Christian. Or unrepresentative. I yeah, they're all really, uh, you know, even that, like the, the population of America is the... Uh, congressional delegation that's just Christian doesn't match. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, because theoretically, if you look back at the uh, Constitutional Convention, right, so James Madison is kind of the father of the Constitution. He actually did a lot of the groundwork, um, you know, with some other people, of course, but James Madison basically went to the Constitutional Convention with a lot of framework of what we actually ended up using for the Constitution, Uh, and that's why he's called the father of the Constitution, but you know, his big thing was that, you know, he didn't care if there was one house or two houses in the legislature, but he said they should both be, you know, uh, proportional to the people. Yeah. You know, so the fact that the Senate, every state gets two senators, it really goes back to the Constitutional Convention. The only reason that exists, the only reason is because the small states back then just said, we're not going to pass the Constitution, we're not going to vote for it, unless it gives us more power, because, you know, at that time, Virginia and Pennsylvania were the most popular, and and New York were the most populous states, and they said, well, we're not giving them more power, Uh, we're going to walk out of this Constitutional Convention right now, unless you do something to give us more power. So you had to kind of make a concession to them, just to have a Constitution overtake the Articles of Confederation. Well, that's the funny thing, like, Benjamin Franklin once said famously, um, you know, he was asked, like, is that the best document, um, you know, that could have been made? And he kind of said, well, is it the best document possible? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But he said the, uh, you know, is it the best document possible? Probably not. But is it the best document we could have made, you know, with those people yeah, in the room? Probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
And you can, there yeah. were multiple times, you know, this, obviously the slavery issue was another one where they said, we're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> obviously the northern yeah. colonies did not want to count all the slaves as three-fifths population or voters, rather. They didn't want to, you know, include uh, slavery, you know, being protected by the Constitution. But here, yeah, yeah, so going back to democracy, right? So you have states like New York, Texas, California, Florida, uh, Illinois, and Ohio growing in population. Every census is showing this, right? But their Senate representation is getting weaker and weaker yeah. and weaker compared to the whole. Meanwhile, you have a state like, you know, the Dakotas or Wyoming that, you know, doesn't matter how much the rest of the population grows in every state around them. Because yeah. their population growth isn't growing that fast compared to other states. But, you know, their Senate power is only getting stronger and stronger per right. person if you think about it. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin actually really wanted a only unicameral system because the uh, the state of Pennsylvania at the time basically only had a House of Representatives. It was mm -hmm. unicameral and, uh, you know, population um, proportional. Um, but, you know, he didn't get his way. But That was one of the things. Yeah, I think the first, uh, some of the first uh, ideas for how the, the legislature would work was unicameral. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole point, I mean, if you, in a political science sense, the entire point of a two-house system in the legislature is that you have one house specifically designed to be more conservative, more slow to act. Um, you know, there, there's pros and cons, don't get us wrong, but right now in America, you know, the cons are clearly dominating the pros yeah. of the system. And then you have a ton of senators from, you know, states with almost no population compared right. to others just basically thwarting everything that the majority of the American people yeah. uh, and their representatives would want and are actively voting for in the House. The Senate still right. shoots it down. Can you imagine if the, what how different our country would be if, like, let's say in 2020, Congress could just start actually proportionally representing every demographic of people? Yeah. Like, in you know, I mean, America, you know, what's Congress? Something like 90% white, probably? Nah, I don't know about 90, but something yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, look it up. totally, totally not proportional. But imagine if we had so many more people of color. So, uh, you know, just women. Women are a majority of the population in America, but they're not. Well, at the very minimum, you'd hope it'd be close to 50 percent. Right. <laughs> I mean, the last couple of Congresses have been the most racially diverse, but it's almost all in the Democratic Party. Yeah. So, yeah, we're looking at it right now. We'll do a little fact check. Yeah, so the number of black, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American con congressmen has been going up and up. This goes back, this little graph from 2001. So, I mean, it is getting more representative, kind of sl albeit slowly. slowly. But surely. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Wyoming is probably not about to elect a uh, non-Christian, a non-white person. Well, it, yeah, and that's another thing why democracy is kind of hurting America, uh, especially... Um, in a lot of states, right? So, I mean, I knew I went to school in, in New York. There were people who were Republicans who didn't vote. So, like, why bother voting? I mean, it might help in a local election, but I knew tons of people, you know, who didn't vote in the 2012 election because they said, why bother? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're not going to vote for Obama, your vote doesn't count. Uh, and you could say the same thing in a majority, pretty much anything that's not a swing state, you could argue your vote doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. At least at the national and perhaps right. even state level. The local level, I mean, you should still vote, but that's another funny thing, too, is in a lot of local jurisdictions, a lot of, uh, you know, political offices aren't even contest contested by the other election, right? So I voted in Missouri one time, and um, 
there was only Republicans and a, a couple libertarians running against those Republicans. Yeah. There was no Democrats on the ballot. So if you're a Democrat voting in Missouri, the local elections don't even matter because unless you know somehow you're going to write in a majority of people are going to write in somebody, there's no way you can win. Right. And you know, if you do some research, you see some, you know, some of these Republicans who've won for the last like 10 years plus, like just running uncontested, you know, 50% or more of their elections, it's right. not really democracy. Yeah, that's certainly true. And in, just in terms of the Electoral College, you know, there's so many myths about how it works that if you get rid of the Electoral College, people will only go to certain big states. But that's so not the truth, because with the Electoral College, you only really go to Iowa, or sorry, Ohio, Florida, um, North Carolina. And you only have to go to a couple counties in those states. Yeah, too. right. Yeah. Really. I mean, but if, you, if suddenly if, uh, you know, if every vote matters, you would want to go to every big city, no matter the state, any big city you'd want to go reach. Well, yeah. So then you, I mean, for example, like if you're a Republican running for a national, you know, the presidency, why bother going to California other than fundraising, right? right. You're not getting votes in California that are going to swing the election. However, you know, there's, I don't see what the point, if you get rid of the electoral college and then every vote matters, then that's a good thing, right? Right. And I mean, unfortunately, maybe California would have a larger share of the outcome in the election. But hey, that's where more people live. Yeah. Maybe right? maybe then it would at least outweigh the fact that California has two senators. <laughs> yeah. Despite being yeah. such a giant portion of the, yeah, uh, the population. Exactly. So because I mean, like, let's let's just thought experiment. You know, if the entire population of China or it's China. Sorry, <laughs> California. If the entire population of California voted for one president. That would be more than half of the entire vote so, you know because each uh hillary clinton got like 65 million trump got well, not everybody in california votes no but, but it would be purely huge, hypothetical yeah. but i'm just saying the, the the sheer population power that california has well, yeah if every voter voted for the same like let's say a democrat let's say hillary clinton in the 2016 election right you could conceivably see hillary clinton winning by 20 million votes yeah. And losing the election. Right. Yeah. And that's and another thing with the Electoral College that is so ridiculous. I mean, especially because liberals essentially waste their votes because they live in giant cities that are already going to vote Democratic. If you don't live in a state with big cities, you know, almost, you know, like even in rural states like uh, Montana, um, what's the capital? Billings? Yeah. Of Montana. You know, they, they sometimes, you know, Montana or right Omaha. now has a... Uh, Omaha and Nebraska. Right, yeah. Right? yeah. So there's big liberal cities in conservative states, but there's just so many more rural people to vote Republican that, you know, it's not really going to flip anytime soon. And those cities just keep getting bigger and bigger, but having less and less say in their own states because, you know, they gerrymander all of the city districts to include either a bunch of uh, <laughs> Republicans in kind of rural yeah. areas on the far outskirts of the city, or they like cram all the all the liberals into one giant super district that has like an 80% Democratic, you know, well, that's another. Rate. That's a great uh, kind of segue into another aspect of why our democracy is hurting right now, and that's gerrymandering. So gerrymandering you know, it's an old term, you know, it's famous in the American political lexicon, but it basically means a district that just looks like, you know, shit, right? So a yeah. district is gerrymandered if they've, they've gone into the district lines, and you can look up each state's districts, and, you know, they have little, you know, the gerrymander is supposed to look like a salamander, right? That's like the, That's the pun the of the gerrymander, yeah. yeah. So it has like an arm, you know, it has two arms, two legs, and a tail, a tail. basically going into different areas of the state. Yeah. So you have it, I mean, let's say in theory, right? If you're districting a state, you, 
presumably, if you're trying to have an equal amount of people in every district, the most sensible thing would to be have as close to a square as possible. Because right. one thing that you want to have is you want to have one area, let's say one town, they should be in the same district. You shouldn't split up one town because that town might have issues that they might vote on a state level basis for. But, you know, why would you break that up? So I think in a perfect world, what you'd want is uh, a bunch and of squares around cities. And then you, you have another square or rectangle encompassing as m the most amount of land around the city with those same people who live in, you know, because there is an urban-rural divide. So it makes sense to have a district of urban people and a district of suburban people and then a district of rural people. You would assume naturally that the rural districts are huge. But, you know, when you see a state that has a city or a town broken up into three different districts, it's obviously foul play, right? right? Because what you're doing is you're taking a bunch of people from that city and splitting them up into three, four, five, however many districts to lessen their vote and give the rural people around right. rather than just give every group of yeah. people a sensible, you know, district and sensible representation. Yeah. So what I, you, yeah, I actually recommend you... Any readers or listeners um, actually do that. You just go to Wikipedia and type in Ohio congressional map and just yeah. look at Ohio's map because Ohio is one of the most egregious examples of gerrymandering. Like right off, right off the bat, you'll notice a very thin district that follows the length of the Great Lake that's right there. And mm -hmm. it basically just takes all of those big cities right, yeah, right, yeah, we're looking at it right now. But there's this tiny little district that takes um like big cities right on the coast and it like it's just preposterous and then there's all the i mean ohio is one of the most here's, here's a great example districts. district number seven is a u-shape yeah so what they've done is they've taken one area wrapped it around another couple cities and then brought it way up to finish the u to encompass a certain group of people in a different part of the state yeah it makes no sense whatsoever yeah and at the halfway post i've made fun of uh dan crenshaw's Texan district a lot. Dan Crenshaw is the uh, he's the the representative with the eye patch. He's a veteran, um, but uh, yeah, you'll, you'll yeah, remember him because he's got yeah he's got an eye patch. Um, but basically, his district. Uh, look it up real quick. His district. It's one of the big cities in Texas, but it, I mean it is. You just look at it and it's absurd. It's laughably dis, uh, laugh, laughably gerrymandered. District number two. Right on the outskirts of Houston. Houston, yeah. So if you're looking at it, you can you can type in Texas Second District, but this might this is just the creme brulee of uh, gerrymandering. So he's got like a little corner of Houston that then goes on to the outskirts of Houston to the uh, northwest. It takes a big chunk out of some suburb, it looks like, on the northwest corner of uh, Houston. And then it goes north and then far east, all the way around the top of Houston, all the way eastward. And then takes a massive chunk of, uh, it looks like, just More rural, rural land. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically just carving up Houston, carving out this little chunk of the city, and then just diluting it with tons of rural voters to just... Un basically get a white Republican named Dan Crenshaw to be their representative to undo all of those voters in the city. Like, you know, obviously they're much more liberal than Dan Crenshaw is. Yeah, so, and that's the thing is like, again, like I said, like what is the purpose of putting a, 
a, a percentage of like urban voters, rural voters, suburban voters, and you can, you know, they're so good with gerrymandering. They can they can look at like uh, DMV records and find where the people of color are, where the people who have the idea. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it is literally this like uh, evil. If right. you Think about it. Well, you say what's the purpose? The I mean, yeah, you the, know the only purpose. reason, the only reason to do that is to just basically fabricate a district yeah. with a slight majority of the people you want and then just waste right. all the other votes of all the people around that area. And, and see, this is where it really becomes a problem. You have these lasting, lingering effects where we have terrible judges that get appointed to uh, you know, lifetime uh, jobs on various district courts and federal um, courts. It's, you get these conservative judges that look at those maps and then say to themselves, well, I see nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's just, you, know, you can look on a map and it's just blatantly uh, racially biased. So here's a perfect example. So North Carolina, um, there is a guy who was kind of the uh, the genius behind the Republican strategy to gerrymander North Carolina. His name was Thomas B. Hofeller. Um, and the interesting thing about him is that he recently passed, but his, his daughter, uh, who's going through his stuff, I think she was against what he was doing. Um, don't know if she was a Democrat, but she released to the media all his documents on his computer showing how he methodically gerrymandered the districts in North Carolina. And it's interesting because North Carolina, you know, the courts there have routinely struck down their districts for being racially motivated. And, you know, according to the, uh, you know, uh, voting rights acts that have been passed in America, you're not allowed to gerrymander for the for the express purpose of of hurting the black vote but the interesting thing is is that they have a de their defense is that this wasn't a racial gerrymander it was just a political gerrymander and apparently that's <laughs> not expressly uh illegal you know so the supreme What's court the difference? Yeah. but here's the interesting thing too i mean if you have 92 percent of black people plus who vote democratic Who's to say a racial gerrymander isn't just an honest, good old-fashioned political gerrymander? <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, perhaps it's not the Republicans' fault that all black people vote Democrat, <laughs> but that just shows why gerrymandering... I mean, that's why, you know, the, the, the census years of state elections are so important, which Democrats traditionally do bad at if it doesn't coincide with a, a presidential election, is because if you have control of the state during a... Uh, redistrict, redistricting year, you get to remake the districts however yeah. you want, and you would hope that it that it might be um, nonpartisan, bipartisan, whatever have you. But that clearly isn't the case. Multiple Republican efforts to gerrymander states have been thrown out, and they've been forced to redo districts. Now, if if the party in charge of making the districts had their districts thrown out. And then told to redo it. Don't you think that probably they're going to try to find another way to gerrymander? Right. Just not in the same way they yeah. just failed that. so egregious. Yeah. Right. So uh, we've talked a lot about this um, in terms of like identifying the problems. Are there any solutions that you can think of like off the top of your head? Well, here's something. And, and, and like there's a lot of things that like aren't very comfortable probably to an American mindset who thinks the Constitution is perfect. But I mean, how do you have... A thriving democracy with the Senate with a tremendously small percentage of the population basically dictating what does or doesn't happen because if the Senate doesn't want something the the country doesn't get it right, right. Uh, and that you know that involves many things the house can't pass anything because the Senate will vote it down they you know if the Senate doesn't like the president they can do everything to not do any 
any legislation the president they can block wants. everything post office yeah yeah this. they can block every appointment they can yeah i mean they can essentially take a supreme court nominee that comes down to it kind of bring it full circle to where we were earlier um so one thing that might make it more democratic is maybe we redo states um, yep. Now, that's kind of a, a dumb proposal, probably, because people have a lot of pride in states. It would be enormously complicated that would and expensive. Be, uh, that would be uh, quite yeah. a hell to die on. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, you know, perhaps, maybe, uh, you know, you just create another level of federal power. Uh, maybe you take more power from the federal government and give it to more regional blocks or something. I mean, at the end of the day, what are you How gonna- would you do that with regional blocks? What are you kind of what have you read anything or heard anything about an a regional idea of Well, some I kind mean, of the only power? idea I can think of is that how do you take away So here's an idea. What if the federal government lost power and they gave it to some more regional blocks? But again, you still wouldn't take away the problem that you have two senators taking away all these big states power. So I don't know unless you change the constitution or just restrict statehood from certain states that don't. I mean, here's another example. And and you know, we're talking a lot about conservative states, but why does Rhode Island, Connecticut and Delaware need to be three states, you know? Rhode Island and Connecticut touch. They have like a million people, 2 million people. Yeah, Delaware is You know, Delaware, like why isn't Delaware and Maryland just combined? They're already touching, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, another example might be However, I'm not at all for that. I'm not for <laughs> Not for Democrats losing senators right now, given that the, the majority of the country votes for them and they're walking But that's you know. the funny thing is you take a dumb state like Delaware, a tiny little fraction of the Atlantic seaboard, but it's two or three times the amount of people of a lot of the Western states that have way more representation. It makes no sense. So, I mean... Unless you change the constitution or change the statehood uh, matter, you're not going to fix this problem. Right. Well, what about adding new states? Because a lot of people mention uh, bringing Puerto Rico and D.C. into states. a better example would be to break up big populated states. Why can't California be five states? Why can't Texas, for that well, matter? Well, but then you have the issue, three. not to be too partisan, but a lot of conservatives actually want California to be broken up. But in their idea, it makes four conservative states and then two coastal Coastal. <laughs> well, that would probably states. be a gerrymander, right? Because if you literally just have LA by itself, be you know the yeah. metro area be a state, then yeah, you're gonna have one liberal state with a bunch of conservative states around it. But again, isn't that more democratic? But I mean, it's not more democratic if you if if you just continue if you break up bigger states well, here's and the thing. make more. You can't break up L- L- You can't keep LA all by itself as one political entity without having 20 million people in one state. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, I mean, you take, take Wyoming or a state, let's say a, a state with a million people, right? Which a bunch of states have at the bottom end of them. If you have LA as its own state, it still is 20 times the population. That's well, still not fixing the problem. Yeah. Do you think, uh, though, at some point, though, the states, I mean, if you make, if you combine states, for instance, and you make just giant regions, then it becomes impractical in terms of people having to, you know, literally drive like 500 miles or something. And that's, to get the, to that's the, the crazy thing. And that's, I mean, so, for example, uh, in the old days, uh, congressmen would work together. So it didn't matter that all the people from these like uh, farming states were all, you know, agricultural Republicans, right? They would go across the aisle and work with their Democratic counterparts. Again, this is the kind of thing that's kind of been, and, and you know, in yeah, this example, that thing ebbs and flows. Obviously, in the Civil War, you didn't have Democrats reaching true. across the aisle. That's true. Republicans. That's very true. Before when, the Civil War, uh, were, when Democrats had, were totally adamant against any yeah. infringement on slavery. Yeah, I mean, but it, I mean, it ebbs and flows. But I mean, this is definitely. I mean, 
you know, say what you will, we're not about to have a civil war, but yeah. would you, I mean, I get how would you compare our political problems right now to the civil war era? Well, we like don't that have level anything... of, uh, that level of inaction <laughs> and that level of like just hostility, well, a little we, bit hostility to real democracy. We, we do have one level of inaction, which the Republican Party refuses to do anything about Trump, whether to check him, to question him, well, that's to... true. or climate change. Yeah, climate change. Or, um, but I mean, climate change is a funny example, and it goes back to democracy. What percentage of the American people want to do something about climate change or for gun rights, right? Not gun rights, I should say, but uh, for, you know, uh, having licenses for guns or making it harder to buy a gun. The like the basic, the, the basic gun rights that most people yeah. like. What you have is a certain amount of senators who are refusing to go against what's even in their own state people's uh, uh, preference, right? Or, or best uh, intentions, right? A lot of people in Wyoming probably want a slightly stricter gun regulation, you know? Uh, you know how many Republicans are in you know New Mexico? Their people yeah. probably. Well, now you're getting in, now you're getting into the idea of money because money is a whole new obstacle. That's it's not like a systemic um, kind of foundational constitutional problem with democracy, but I mean like with the uh, Citizens United ruling that basically money is free speech, so that anybody yeah. or you know even in the case of like Russia. Any country, any foreign country, can spend any amount of money in our foreign elections, and there's as like, long as they illegally, you know, launder the money yeah. into some kind of super PAC, right? Well, that here, and you know, here's another example of a, a past democracy, right? So the Roman Republic, right? Um, I mean, obviously not a democracy, but a republic, just like we are. Uh, you know, by the time of the emperors and Julius Caesar, right? You had families, oligarchical families, who were so rich and military leaders who made so much money out on campaign. You know, in this case, I'm, I'm kind of comparing them to the super PACs, but they have so much money, they could fund whatever political movements they wanted. And they had people dependent on them for re-election or support, right? So, I mean, you have the same thing today where a super PAC giving money to a, you know, a small-time House of Representatives member, they might well say, well, I don't care about global warming and fracking and gun rights if, you know, I'm going to get an extra 500000 every two years for my re-election. If, yeah, it basically guarantees yeah. your re-election. And they're throwing their own voters, you know, even Repu if you're a Republican, you're throwing your Republican voters who yeah. care about, you know, people dying, you know, children dying in school. Right. You're throwing them under the bus for your own re-election. So Citizens United was 2010, correct? Yeah. So do you think that was kind of the, well, I mean, you can't say it was the beginning because obviously like once Obama got elected, people were saying, our, you know, Mitch McConnell said our only goal is to make him a one-term president. Yeah. And then that goal kept going even into Obama's second yeah. term. <laughs> they were still trying yeah. to make him a one-term president. Uh, but like the money, I mean, I mean, like what can you do? That just has to be repealed. There has to be some kind of groundswell I guess it has to be a legislative fix because obviously, you know, right now the Supreme Court hasn't gotten um, less conservative with um, mm -hmm. Trump's picks, you know. Um, I mean, like, do you think if, if we can undo Citizens United, how what what degree of our problems will be fixed when... Uh, well, here's a perfect money example, doesn't right? Bribe yeah. people. Here's a perfect example. Like, so the issue of fracking kind of encapsulates this because fracking, you cannot frack. It's not very productive or profitable to frack in a lot of the country, right? So you have Republicans, or, or I'll use an example, right? So in New York State, when I was in college, 
Um, there was a ton of like public outcry against fracking. You know, Mark Ruffalo had a huge campaign against fracking. New York State ended up banning it. It was this whole thing. But like fracking became an inter you know a whole national issue. And uh, nationally, you had Republicans in Republican states that don't have any fracking potential or you know reason to frack there who are voting to allow fracking everywhere in the country <laughs> against the wishes of the people in the states that are have fracking from whom who they do don't want. they don't represent yeah <laughs> and, and and they're taking you know it's yeah. funny because you know the Koch brothers will give x amount of money to a representative who has no fucking oil in their fucking district yeah <laughs> you know what i mean or you know exxon mobil is not setting up shop with an hq and, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, pick a state right. and they're giving, you know, getting money from the Koch brothers. It's absurd. And that's undemocratic. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's a problem all in of itself with the money mm -hmm. is that the Koch brothers, I mean, like, really, you talk about states being disproportional. Talk about two people. I mean, granted, one of them, uh, you know, rest in peace, brother, <laughs> my <Yeah>. brother, uh, <laughs> one of, one of them's no longer with us, but I mean, like for, for when they were both alive, talk about Two Americans that have disproportional power in America just because they can, they basically can just bribe all these members of Congress, especially representatives who are up for re-election every two years. Well, especially years. the Tea Party, right? So in 2010 and 12, how many people, you know, no name representatives who were elected from little districts and little states who basically, you know, were idiots, right? But they had the money from the Tea Party super PACs. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz literally didn't get a job in the George W. Bush administration because everyone thought he was such a dick. He couldn't, yeah. but he got some of that. But that he got that Tea, tea Party, party kind of action, yeah. And yeah, and now he's in the Senate and has been ever since. Um, yeah. So with in terms of money, like you, I mean, uh, like what you know, in terms of democracy dying, obviously democracy is dying when the Koch brothers basically own. What like uh, forty senators or something like that? <laughs> you know? What's funny is they probably bragged about it in email, mass emails sent out and stuff. Oh and yeah, in private conversations and their expensive lunches and dinners and stuff. But like, here's an yeah. I mean, democracy is is kind of dying when that people are doing something. You know, whether or not you believe how big a problem climate change is, like it is happening. And you know, if you're gonna ignore the science um, and not even listen to the scientists, you are doing a disservice to your entire country for your own short-term political gain, right? So right. if you have a Congress member who says, I'm not a scientist, well, you're a congressman. Your job is to get information. You can ask any scientist in America. Yeah. I love you know, it. That's their excuse. I'm not a scientist, yeah. so, you know, I, I just can't tell how to vote. <laughs> For example, like the House of Representatives under Obama, run by John Boehner, Republican nominated, or Republican uh, majority. Elected, yeah. Yeah, right? So, um... Here's an idea. Fucking subpoena all the scientists and get to the ground truth. Like I said earlier, there are 500... Your Congress, yeah. you can subpoena anybody. <laughs> like I said, there are 535 people in America who really need to know what's going on. Everybody else can just fuck off with reading. But be an idiot. Yeah, there's only 535 people in Congress who yeah. really need to know what's going on, and they just choose not to. I'm not a scientist, right. even though there's fucking tens of thousands of scientists who all agree. Yeah. Now, talking about uh, the the House of Representatives being screwed up, there is an idea to, um, because it's relatively arbitrary that we have 435 representatives, that at some point that was like a congressional, that was like Correct. a law so that the, they made. The, the reason for that was 
right? So in the founding of the country, we had a manageable amount of House of Representatives. You, you know, have more and more states, more coming, population grows. It's all proportional, so they start adding more and more. When they got to 435, um, like 100 years ago, they just put a cap at it and said, we're not doing more seats. 435. <laughs> so the minute that happened, that you know, at the time, they, they, the Constitution had a specific number of people who had to have a representative, right? right? So when you increased the population by that number of people, you had legally to include another member right. of Congress in the House of Representatives. Now you have like Los Angeles with representatives, like compare the amount of people that a representative from Los Angeles represents mm -hmm. to the amount of people a representative from like Idaho represents. Yeah. <laughs> Wild disparity. Well, so that's the thing is the House is actually, I mean, there's multiple Supreme Court cases that, you know, I, I forget one of the, some Supreme Court justice said that the most important case he had seen or written an argument for was a court case saying that no, in fact, every single uh, House seat had to have an equal amount of population right. as like feasibly possible right but again you know once they hit that cap at 435 you start having a disproportionate number of people per district and that's obviously mathematical reasonable right so that's why one of the things the census is so important to states is because you know if you have like let's say a hundred thousand extra people who are counted you might get an entire another congressman you know, because it's all right. based on averages. So if you're above the average, you even if you only increase population by like 10,000 people, you might conceivably steal another state's yeah. congressman if they decrease by a certain a tiny. Would amount. that give a Would that give Democrats a natural gerrymander in the way that the Senate gives Republicans a natural gerrymander? Well, the funny thing is, is because like states like Wyoming, population-wise, if it was perfectly proportional, again, the Constitutional says that every state gets at least one representative. Right. Wyoming would probably only have 0.7 of a, you know what yeah. I mean? Or 0.8 of a, of a rep. Wouldn't that be great? But if they all have these... to get one, yeah. which inherently takes away from a more populous state. Right. Uh, so that's undemocratic. But again, like, you know, these are compromises to make a country work, right? We're not saying that it has to be even, but you have to acknowledge that there are reasons why this country is becoming less and less democratic. Right. You know, for example, you know, um, and we can we can Google this really quick, but other states have more representatives to be more, uh, you know, more, quote unquote, democratic than, you know, ironically, America. Um, but other you know, countries, you mean? Yeah. India has more people in their legislature. Um, well, that's that's one thing I was saying. They, they were saying that if you if you got rid of that cap on representatives, that if you actually can you if you actually like did that thing where you make equal amount of representatives and you kept pace that we would have about 700 something we have way more than 430 cuz yeah. you got to think we we cut it at 435 100 years ago we've added like 150 million people since right then. right so i mean we can number of representatives uh, or yeah per voters um, you can google it and um, uh, it used to be that every 30,000 people had a Congress <laughs> member in Congress, right? Oh, my God. How so, many representatives would L.A. have yeah. in Chicago and right. New York? Well, I mean, you, you just you divide it by 30,000, you probably get like 20 or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, so if you look it up, you know, every representative in America, you know, right now is on average about 700 plus, you know, 750,000 people. 
you know, so the population's grown tremendously. So, I mean, part of it, you know, the reasoning why they cut it at 435 in the house was, you know, they didn't want at that time 600 people walking around their chamber. You know, they only have so much office space. I mean, there, there, there are some... There are limitations. Yeah, there are limitations in the building itself. I mean, imagine how long <laughs> votes would take if you have to, if you have to yeah. double... Roll like call, overnight, you double people. the amount of people voting yeah, on everything. So. And yeah. every post office has to be named. So the point, though, is that, like, you know, this is an example of how the country used to be more democratic and it's become less democratic. And right. because of that, you are seeing kind of perverse incentives where, especially with political parties, they can, it's, you know, especially right now, the, the Republican, conservative, rural political power has, has grown immensely right. because of, you know, two things. One is the Constitution itself that was specifically designed to help uh, less populated states and, right. and, and, and franchise them a little more, empower them, if you will. And another thing is some of the things we've done since the Constitution, which have maybe unintentionally, uh, but still uh, hurt yeah. democracy or at least the, you know, the full nature of democracy in this country. Well, right off the top of your head, can you think of a time that's more partisan? Because actually, now that I'm thinking about... Well, the no time is more partisan than the Civil War. No, no, no. But even then, you had Democrats that refused to secede. Very you know, few. That like Andrew Johnson was one of the few who who didn't secede, and that's partially probably why he ended up getting picked vice president. Vice president. Um, um, but I mean, there there are plenty like uh, the Blair family. They were Democrats from Missouri who didn't. True. Didn't true. Do. True. But, but I mean, what I'm saying right now, where partisanship is so bad, where it's like party line votes on some of these most serious issues. I mean, like in a way, like wouldn't you say it's technically more partisan than the Civil War? Well, I mean, that's at one least of those... in terms of party line votes, we probably have more party. Back then, it was all about one issue, but now you have all these partisan party line votes on things like climate change, evolution, um, taxes, healthcare. You know, any kind of program that's deemed socialist. You know, certainly even in you know FDR didn't have it so bad. FDR had plenty of uh, you know populist Republicans. Well, back then, they, you him. know, the the most conservative. You know, liberals were always voting with the Republican Party and vice versa with the Democratic Party. Yeah, but you had you know, but, you had, but in modern history, yeah. certainly. I mean, like in the seventies and eighties, you still had rural states mm -hmm. that had very liberal Republicans, and then you had very uh, conservative Democrats in different parties, and it wasn't so regionally like monolithic now in terms of well, you know, taking it back to the Haster rule, that's a perfect example. Of them saying, you know, fuck bipartisanship. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, another example. I mean, this all goes back to, you know, in the old days. Yeah, because now, I mean, Boehner had to leave because he basically just voted to keep the government running and not mm -hmm. fucking ruin America. And the Tea Party, we're going to yeah. vote him out. And yeah. Paul Ryan, the same thing. He basically got down to a vote that, you know, he basically passed with a lot of Democrat support and then he had to retire. And now you have Kevin McCarthy, who I... Well, he, he's just bending over backwards to appease Trump. I mean, talk about just a seat filler. Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. I hope Kevin McCarthy you listen to this because <laughs> <laughs> you're a seat filler. You're a nobody. Yeah. I mean, how many people now could even rec could even name him? Well, I mean, think about it. What John, has he done? We had two. So Republicans have had a lot of power in the legislature the last 10 years, right? So imagine someone being at the top of the political world, the Speaker of the House, third in line to the, you know, the president. Well, the House Majority Leader. No, the Speaker of the House. Are you talking about Nancy Pelosi? Not now. I'm talking about John. My, my, point, oh, John my point right now is that you have John Boehner and uh, uh, Paul Ryan, who are at the top of their political career, making mass amounts of money, and quit. 
Yeah. <laughs> because, you know... Right. And, and, and they're both... Well, that goes to show the partisanship. That yeah. The job is so bad yeah. that to make your decision to keep the government just operating like all American citizens, regardless of party, expect, you have to literally resign to do the right thing by putting the country first. Yeah, or just quit. Yeah, John Boehner was singing in his like last couple press conferences and humming like, oh, I'm so <laughs> yeah. happy. Because he didn't have to deal yeah. with the Tea Party or, you know, specifically Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted <laughs> yeah side note, John Boehner yeah. said Ted Cruz was a, like a, what do you call him, an ass or a... A dickhole or something like that. Yeah, my favorite my favorite joke about um, Ted Cruz is from uh, Al Franken. He said, um, "I <laughs> I like Ted Cruz more than any of our Senate colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate Ted Cruz." <laughs> yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so so here we are. Any other solutions that you can think of in terms of just. You know, yeah, so how can we fix this? My first solution of trying to make some uh, higher level of federalism, you know, that doesn't really work. My the only thing I can imagine is one getting the money out of politics because I'm, another thing I think is um, I think we should have term limits, right? So if you go back to the for everything for senators or representatives everybody, or both, everybody. So I don't like is for example, um, if you're watching the news and they play footage from like the 1990s, it's 2020 now, yeah. and you see half of the Congress members who are still there today, then you have a select amount of people who are just running this country for 30 years. Like, you know, at some point, you got to, you know, give up your place to someone yeah. new and young. Although here's a caveat. A lot, I've, I've heard some people speculate that if you actually have term limits and that you have people that, you know... That basically, if you get if you enact term limits, you will have actually more corruption and lobbyist devotion because actually it's better to fight corruption when you have these senators and representatives who have been there forever and will get reelected that they can kind of buck, be more of like kind of maverick mavericks. I mean, that's a funny thing because there's pros and cons, and you're talking about human right. nature, so it can go either way. Because one thing. I think that you have all these people bending to Trump right now. If you had a term limit, let's say a House member or a senator can't run again, maybe they would grow the pair of balls to actually well, stand true, up yeah. for something they Maybe that would be the greater net good to help the country. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the question is there's pros and cons to everything right. in government. You're picking some winners, picking some losers. Because I, I have heard people speculate that if you have term limits and everybody is relatively new to Congress, mm -hmm. you will actually have more people just listening to whatever lobbyists tell them because they're kind of greener and less Or more experience. importantly, they're voters. Well, for yeah. example, the, 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 the gun rights, right? So if 87, you know, 80 plus percent of the American people want stricter gun regulations, but nobody in the Republican Party is going to vote for it. You know, maybe something primary for someone who does. Yeah, but that's the problem. We're so we're so partisan that like you know how many voters solely vote off of abortion or, or guns? single issue. Well, so it's on the you right. can disagree with Republicans on a lot of shit, but you don't want to give up your gun and you think abortion is like literally going against God. Like you'll never vote for a Democrat. Correct. No matter how many other issues or you think, if, well, if, yeah. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fight Iran. I don't want to lower taxes on billionaires. I don't want all this stuff. But God tells me that we shouldn't have abortion, so I have to vote Republican. Well, and here's the funny thing, because uh, Republicans haven't done jack shit for abortion because you know, yeah. Roe v. Wade yeah. is still a federal right. Law. Let, let's Not a let's law, say that approved, George W. Bush had full government control for a few years and yeah. did nothing about abortion. So yeah, that's just one example of many of issues that like they're just so partisan. And I see your point why today is pretty close to the Civil War as far as partisanship, and I can't imagine 
you know, how do some of these issues get well, resolved? Well, I mean, you go, you talk about a civil war. There's how many Trump supporters literally are like salivating for a civil war right now. Well, that's the weird thing is it's become so partisan, and Fox News is obviously a part of it. The, the right wing bubble is that to a lot of Republicans, like. A Democrat, any Democrat is inherently anti-American who wants to bring America down. Yeah. And like there are to the idiots. point where Republicans yeah. and Trump supporters would rather Russia install a puppet government in America for the foreseeable future as long as a Democrat doesn't take over. Well, here's an interesting example for maybe one way for Democrats to kind of cut down on the partisanship. Not that it's their fault, obviously, but you know, some issues, maybe Democrats just need to allow people to rue in their own, you know, you know, disinterest, you know, personal disinterest. Yeah. For example, I think of the healthcare debate, right? So a lot of de- Democrats are literally dying on the sword for full Medicare for all or some kind of government takeover of insurance, medical insurance. And I say maybe Democrats should just say, "Fuck it. If you know, we'll do Obamacare. We'll have a Medicare." For some, if you want to join it, you can. And if you want to keep your shitty or good health insurance from your company, just stay there. And, you know, just say, fuck it. Okay, we tried to make something good for everybody. Half of you complained, so we'll just give it to the people who, who want, want it. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be a yeah. good issue. So, but, you know, that's an issue that, you know, because so many people do suffer with their Republican governors and their Republican kind of con- like congressional, uh, their state congresses. But, um, you know, we've talked about this before about states' rights. Do like maybe maybe it's a winning argument for liberals and Democrats to just say, you know what, fuck it. We're going to take the Republican states' rights issue and just say, you know what, we are not giving federal taxes to rural Rural Republican yeah. states, right? Conservative states. Well, here from now on, all the taxes will just stay in the states that they're made. For instance, California, New York, big liberal states lose money because so much tax money gets redistrib- redistributed to a uh, to more smaller rural conservative states. So maybe a states' yeah. rights issue would be, you know what? Fuck it. You know what? Alabama gets like two point three dollars for every dollar they put into the. You know, maybe that's even generous of them. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they get more. But maybe okay, fuck it. Maybe Mississippi, Alabama, Idaho, uh, North Dakota, all of these states that are super dependent on welfare and super dependent on liberal state money that gets you know basically just you know taken from liberal states and given to them so that they can have higher literacy rates, higher mm-hmm. uh, or sorry lower child mortality rates, higher healthcare rates. Just say fuck it. You know what? You're not getting any of that money. All that all of California's tax yeah. money, New York's tax money stays, stays in those states. <laughs> yeah. We're just going states' yeah. rights. And then maybe, well, here's a funny know, thing. Imagine like uh, those green people, you know, those uh, green eco Democrats going out with a Tea Party. Yeah, fuck the government. <laughs> Get your government hands off my, you know, yeah, Paris right. peace accord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we've talked about it, you know, because like there's, you know, so much money from the government basically gets sent to rural communities. No, here's that, what's happening: uh, is the liberal, predominantly liberal blue states are subsidizing the shitty. Mostly conservative, borderline third world yeah. communities. Here's an example. You look at something like child mortality. You know, you always see all these statistics: child mortality, education, right? Even things like as surprising as uh, uh, literacy, right? So what you see are a lot of blue states like the Northeast, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, California. Um, you know, Washington, Minnesota. Yeah, uh, they have much higher uh, rates in everything that are better. 
And yeah, they'll, they'll they're, actually they're, compete with you know Europe yeah, and leave Europe. For example, Massachusetts, if it was its own country, might be like the top five in a lot of factors. Like the Switzerland However, of America. Yeah, but America's dragged down by the Mississippis, the Alabamas. Right. Who are worse than you know Eastern yeah. European countries who are still recovering? And you have those state governments that say fuck yeah. taxes, <laughs> fuck, fuck healthcare, <laughs> fuck literacy, fuck reading and everything public. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all of these uh, rural conservative states that are basically being dragged along into modernity well, here, by liberal taxes. Here's a perfect example of talking about the uh, you know ideology and you know so if if you're a Republican who votes only on the abortion issue. Well, here's an interesting fact. You can you Google like the CDC. You can Google government websites where they keep data for everything. And you look at like some of the health measure uh, metrics in this country. For example, like if you look at child mortality, you know that should be a high issue on people who for are against abortion. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have a state like Alabama that has three times as many children dying before the first year of life is complete. Not quite that much. It's about 2.5. Yeah, so. yeah. But compare that to Massachusetts. If you're against abortion, why aren't you against these states that yeah. are failing at keeping babies alive? Why are you happy with your governor and state legislature yeah. when your state is routinely bottom five states of highest child mortality? How are you pro-life by refusing all of this money for, you know, like a... Um, you know, health classes in school for well, yeah, contraception, yeah. for healthcare, all of this stuff. But then, like, you, your hospitals are so bad because you refuse to have to basically fund your own hospitals that children are dying at literally 2.5 times of these New England liberal states. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> what can you say to that, right? Yeah. Hey, I mean, cheers to you, Mississippians, yeah. who are uh, you know happy with that, I guess. You know, we've talked about having the idea of a scorecard where, because, you know, there's a, especially in the South, like the Deep South, where you have these super conservative state governments where they're just the bottom of everything. You know, they're the bottom of education, of healthcare, like all yeah. the things that we've the, already talked the about. States but that they are don't so get better. Con- yeah, they're the states that are so conservative that the only chance a Democrat has to win is if they go against a registered sex child, like yeah. you know, pedophile. <laughs> well, here's something that's really cynical: is that a lot of a lot of those people, especially when you combine that with like a very uh, almost fundamentalist Christian faith, a lot of those people literally believe that they are living the righteous life and that at least they'll have a better afterlife when they're not taking government money. You know, a lot of people literally believe that, that they're they're suffering now, but they'll have the better life because they're not basically like sucking up Well, here's the thing is a lot of stuff. those people don't know. They don't know that where their welfare money is coming from, which is a federal government. In that book, Michael Lewis, he was talking to... Uh, the Fifth uh, Risk. Yeah, read The it. Fifth Risk. Please read it. Uh, he was talking to multiple, you know, government bureaucrats who... Even governors. Yeah. So, for example, he was talking about how there were a bunch of government programs that would give out money to poor areas of the country. A lot yeah. of them in, in rural uh, the Department states. Of, uh, what is it? The Department of Commerce. It mm-hmm. basically has a private bank within it that gives tons of money to rural communities because no one else will give these communities money or offer any incentive yeah. to improve And if you talk about the, the, the federal government, one good thing about the federal government is it's a lender of last resort. They'll give money to things at extremely low interest rates because the federal government isn't running a profit. It's not a racket. It's running at cost. Yeah, it's running at cost or just slightly above. 
So they'll go and give, and, and the way the federal government, they might give a loan to a program in a southern state. However, they'll give the money through a, a local bank just to transfer the money, right? right? So then a bureaucrat from D.C. will go and, and, you know, be a part of the team that gives the check to this charity group. And, you know, there were examples Michael Lewis was saying where, you know, they, the, the local Republican, you know, political figure. Or would, the governor. Yeah, a very yeah, high or official. the governor <laughs> would, like, kind of lean into the bureaucrat like, hey, can you not mention that you're part of the federal government or you're from yeah. there? Yeah. And it's like, can you not mention that all of this money that I'm pretending I had something to do with is from yeah. the federal government? I mean, <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's like, how cynical can you I be? I think that should be the last thing we talk about here is the, you know, why democracy is failing is because people have no idea what's going on right. around them. And it's because half of the country, like one of the two political parties, literally benefits by convincing everybody that the government is the problem. Even though, like you said, the government is often the lender of last resort, the savior at last resort, you know, when there's like... Or straight up giving money yeah, to poor states. Losing money by just, yeah, basically giving it from rich states to poor states. Yeah. Like at every natural calamity, you know, all of that insurance money that people get, you know, that, you know, that literally is just <laughs> subsidized by the federal government. And For those example, people might yeah. be the last to say, oh, yeah, I like the government. The government should play a bigger role in society. But they're the ones who's like salvation and very livelihood. All of these farmers right now, these farmers that got screwed over by the, the trade deal, uh, the trade deal. Mm -hmm. they should be starving right now. But the government right now is in a very socialist manner, basically just giving them money. In this case, Trump is basically bribing them yeah. to still vote for him in 2020. But the government is basically giving them money to continue to live, despite the fact that they have ruined their like negotiations with Chinese markets. And that, you know, if you had a purely conservative free market attitude on this, you should just say, okay, yeah, learn to code. Stop being a farmer. You can't make money. Or You're worthless. Well, here's the funny thing, because tariffs have traditionally been, you know, protecting American uh, workers has traditionally been a Democratic platform plank. You know what I mean? That's something they traditionally, right. you know, conservatives have long been it's, free trade. It, yeah, it's the, it's the almost comical uh, overlap of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump that has gotten so many Republican voters excited. It's like Democrats have been talking about this for 30 years. You know, there right. were Democrats against NAFTA under Bill Clinton. You know, at the time, Republicans were all free traders, you know, going into the Bush administration. So they were all about free trade wherever possible. This is a Democratic plank. And again, it's an example of people, they don't know what's going on around them. Right. Uh, do you think that might be the bigger, biggest obstacle to American progress then? Is just that how um, ignorant here's like, one so thing, many Americans are? So here's one thing I'm kind of looking forward to. And if you're not tracking this, um, you got to look into the uh, the new NASA projects. Uh, little uh, little sidestepping here, but uh, the NASA projects and, and 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 sending people back to the moon in 2024. And it's funny because I think the federal government, if they do these big scale science projects, it's actually a way to get people like informed and interested in what the federal government's doing. And I think this could be a really cool opportunity. You know, kind of everyone talks about the Sputnik moment in in, in American history in the 50s, right? You know, famously, Sputnik went up. All the Americans, you know, we all thought that uh, we were behind in the space race. You know, they started subsidizing science, you know, STEM kind of programs. And it just got the entire country interested in what the federal government's doing and NASA. So if you didn't know, NASA's plans to not only go to the moon in 20, 
2024, but also set up a lunar uh, space station that can go back and forth with private industry to the surface of the moon. And it's all in preparation of going to Mars in the coming decade. Man, if only there was oil on the moon. I mean, if only there was oil, we would be there already. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like, so the moon, I mean, you can you can mine whatever you want. You can frack. There's no worry about pollution. I mean, it's not like people oh, can just well, the breathe the air. dream utopia yeah, yeah. is the moon. Yeah, so right. what I think is, the you know, the federal government and especially bureaucrats who do really cool science and, and interesting things, they don't advertise very well. They, they, they oh, don't yeah. have a, you know, what you call a PAO, a public affairs officer, right? Um, and they really need it. And again, another plug for Michael Lewis's. Yeah, uh, seriously, read book. that book. It's so good. I mean, so for one example, the book has is that there's a guy who literally just went out uh, to the beach in New York and just threw stuff into the water and you know would measure how things floated and where they would go once they're in the water. And he gave that information to the Coast Guard and. Tons right. of Americans are saved every year because yeah. of this data. And this guy, yeah. nobody knows about him, but like there are literally yeah. thousands of people who have been picked up right. by the Coast Guard after a shipwreck or getting lost at sea because some guy who was just a boring dude throwing shit into the the you know yeah. the Long Island Sound <laughs> was like, oh, fat people float this way. This <laughs> yeah. kind of rap. This is where we should way. look. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, read Michael Lewis's book because the, the, the kind of theme of the book is basically that no one gives the government credit for anything. They only blame the government when things go wrong and the government doesn't fix it immediately. But there's a lot of people who actually go into the government and go into government work, specifically um, immigrants, because a lot of immigrants actually come from areas and countries with like terrible governance. And they basically learn why society... Uh, like how society can go awry when there is no government. So actually some of the most success stories, the the most like the best successful stories of government workers are people who come from uh, really kind of destitute areas that have no government. Well, here's another example. So pretty much, you know, he, Michael Lewis jokes in the book that pretty much everyone who works for, you know, NOAA, the, the, the weather agencies in the, the United States government, the people who are looking and finding ways to figure out where tornadoes are going to hit and what their effects are. They're just people who were at one point in their lives like amazed or terrified of storms. Or affected directly yeah. and personally And they by spend the rest of their lives trying to make storms more manageable, safer for the American yeah. people around them. And give more warning yeah. to people. Exactly. Right. Um, so anyway, so, so that but that that's kind of the thing that that's 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 what that's maybe one solution out of this government hole that we're into. You know, like a lot of the people Michael Lewis interviews, they're kind of like older people who were. Um, a lot of people mentioned that uh, John F. Kennedy with his yeah. uh, his request to ask not what you can do for your country, ask what you. Uh, or maybe I have that backwards. Yeah, ask what not you, what you can do for right. your country. Yeah. Ask not what your country can do for <laughs> you. Uh, ask what you can do for your country. Like a lot of these really successful government officials, they purposely spurn the private sector and they turn down tons more money if they work for some private company. But they go into the government thinking, you know what, this is my life purpose. I'm going to make the world, or the sorry, the country, you know, but a lot of them do make the world better. And, 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 um, and that's just counter to the current Republican narrative of fuck everyone who's not yeah. me. The government's the problem. Yeah. The government's why you're poor. The government is not why you're poor. The government is the last resort lender for the reasons why you're not on the street yet. Well, that's another example. I mean, there's like 3 million people employed by the federal government directly. 
And I mean, or more, you know what I mean? They're not just doing nothing. They're not just taking money yeah. from the federal government. They have a real purpose, but. So. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, we're at about an hour 14. I think there's a pretty good point to start. We're getting, uh, we've been drinking yeah. wine this whole time. So we're getting a little more drunk. You might have noticed the last yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Um, we are Brain Milk Podcast. Um, we are associated with the Halfway Post, your go-to destination for satirical news. And really, read uh, read the Halfway Post because if you if you like our commentary, the sense of humor that is uh, exemplified at the Halfway Post, um, you'll probably appreciate. Once again, I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Folk. Thanks for listening to Brain Milk, the best podcast in your life. Or, you know, one of the podcasts in your life, at least. <laughs> yeah. Eight podcasts. Yeah, Brain eight, Milk. Eight, eight podcasts. podcasts. <laughs> All right, take it easy, guys.